You're listening to the Pastor's Hat Podcast, a ministry of the First Baptist Church of Dadeville. Welcome. This is episode eight of the Pastor Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Forrest Jones. I am Zach Brown. And I'm Ben Hayes. All right. Today we are going to be talking about judgment. And can I be the judge of that? Brother Ben, would you like to start us off with a little rundown of what you preached on yesterday? Yes. Uh, it was a tough sermon yesterday. I'd just be upfront with you. Um, but one of the questions that came in several months ago has to do with this uh, passage in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. And one of the things that uh, is a big problem with that is uh, anytime you start talking about lifestyles, you start talking about sin or righteousness or uh, just pretty much anything, um, people will accuse you of being judgmental. And they'll often pull out this passage where Jesus said, judge not. And uh, one of the things that we have to remember is that as Jesus was was sharing these scriptures, he was uh, giving to his followers, and and by his followers, I mean believers, I mean Christians, um, guidelines, characteristics, uh, attributes. I don't choose whatever word you want to use to describe them, but but different things that that qualify you as a believer. That and by qualify, I mean that really. Uh, adds up to uh, what a believer is supposed to be in the Sermon on the Mount. And that is an amazing uh, thing to look at because there are dozens of, of different characteristics that you could focus on. But when you come to, to chapter 7, uh, Jesus begins to talk about this concept of, of judging and, and what does that mean to judge. And so we dealt with the word itself, and and the Greek word is, is the word krino, and it can mean just like in the English language, it could mean to uh, analyze or evaluate uh, or to condemn and, and avenge. And so the, the question is, how did Jesus use this? And so, you again, you pick up the context of, of all that he's talking about there, and you base it on that. Well, he's trying to tell us as believers how we should live our lives. And uh, one of the things that we, we have to understand here is that everything that Jesus is sharing has to be based in love because that is the, the premier characteristic of, of the, the life of the believer. And so based on that, I went through these verses and I pulled out three characteristics. And you probably phrase them differently. You could probably uh, find other characteristics here, but, but I, I focused on three. And one is that uh, the first one is that believers must be compassionate and not condemning. And it is so easy for us to be condemning. It's part of our, our nature as human beings to condemn others because we want to make ourselves look just as good as we can. But uh, throughout the, the New Testament, throughout the Gospels especially, Jesus made it clear to us that we are not to condemn other people. We are to, in fact, uh, sacrificially make them uh, a higher priority than even ourselves. We're to uh, love them in such a way that that we put their needs above our own. So when Jesus says, judge not, he is telling us that that we, we're not to be condemning, but in turn be compassionate. Well, now, what exactly is compassion? For the believer, I think compassion is teaching others 
how to live lives of holiness. And, and that is often what comes across as, as being judgmental um, in, in the eyes of so many people. But it's not judgmental. When, when you know that, that lost people who are living their life their way without knowing Jesus Christ are heading for an eternity in hell, then the loving, compassionate thing to do is to tell them about Jesus, who is the only way to avoid that eternal judgment and experience the, the blessings of e- eternal life and, and abundant life. So in order to truly be loving, we have to warn others. How does that apply to the Christian? Well, as Christians, we understand that we all sin even after we become Christians, and we we stumble into that sin. And it is our responsibility as Christian brothers and sisters to do what we can to help our our brothers and sisters come back to the the fold, to uh, be restored. And we talked about how Paul says that we're to to restore our brothers and sisters gently. Uh, So it is all about compassion. Second characteristic is uh, in verse 2 where Jesus says, uh, with what measure you judge, you will be judged. Well, uh, I think that uh, this characteristic is that believers have a responsibility to be corrective and not critical. And by that, I mean that it is our responsibility to help restore a brother or sister in Christ. And Jesus used that that wonderful illustration that I think was intended to make people laugh a little bit when he says, how can you deal with the speck of sawdust that's in your brother's eye when you've got this huge tree growing out of your own eye? And he's not saying that we should uh, mind our own business. He's not saying that we should not help our brothers and sisters when they stumble into sin. What he's saying is that we've got to deal with our own sin first, that we have to uh, come to him in, in confession and repentance. And all of that has to be done with a humble heart. And that humility comes from recognizing that we are sinners and that but by the grace of God, we would be doing the same thing that these uh, other people are doing. And so with that in mind, we can reach out and gently help to restore them. And then the third characteristic we dealt with is in verse 6, where Jesus talks about not uh, giving that which is holy to the dogs or throwing your pearls uh, before the swine because they'll turn and, and uh, attack you. And I think that what Jesus is telling us here is we as believers have to be discerning in understanding the situation we're in so that we will not be destructive. We will not push other people away because there are some people out there who cannot receive the truths of, of the Christian life. Um, in fact, what happens when we start talking to them about holiness, when we start talking to them about these very attributes that Jesus was describing in the Sermon on the Mount, they feel convicted. They feel condemned, not because you're doing the convicting, not because you're doing the condemning, but because the truth of God's word is to them as, as what Paul called the aroma of their own death. They understand innately because of the the conscience that's within. They understand because of the work of the Holy Spirit who brings conviction uh, of sin that what you're saying is true. They don't want to admit it. They don't want to believe it. They don't want to accept it. And so what they do is they respond in anger and and they turn and, and attack those who try to speak the truth. And so my point in this is that sometimes it comes to the point that we have to back off of our pursuit. We have to, to stop pushing people to change and leave that up to the to the Father. Let the Holy Spirit bring the conviction 
on their hearts. Um, you know, sometimes that's a difficult thing, especially for a pastor to preach, because it uh, is just within us to try to fix things and to try to fix people. But so many times we can't do the fixing. And so with, with that in mind, that's what I was talking about yesterday, that, that yes, we are called to analyze, we are called to evaluate for our own spiritual good, for the spiritual good of our family, for the spiritual good of our churches. But that's as far as we can go. We cannot be condemning. We cannot be judgmental, but we can um, do everything that we can to help others understand the truth of God's Word. Yeah, I, I know we live now in kind of a soundbite, you know, um, Twitter world where everything is boiled down into these tiny little um, pieces. And I thought yesterday you had an illustration that I loved. You put it up on the screen and then had the whole chapter laid out there, of, of the whole scripture in there. And all of it was crossed out other than do not judge. Like that, that was it. It was just like, don't judge. That was the only thing that we needed out of this. Um, and you're just pointing out that that's how most people read this is they just look at it and say, oh, I've, listen, don't judge. You can't judge. Jesus said, you can't judge me. I mean, that that's what we have so often here in our society today is. You can't judge me. And what I think is really ironic is there are people who deny that Scripture is, in fact, anything other than just the written words of man. They say, yeah, the Bible, it's just, I guess it's some good teachings that some guys wrote down, but it's not God's word and God doesn't exist. And none of that's true. But then if you said, you know, what you're doing is a sin, how quickly they will be like, well, Jesus said, you can't judge me. Mm-hmm. A minute ago, you didn't even believe in him. And now suddenly you're trying to quote him and me. Um, but again, I think it's the idea when we look at scripture and you mentioned this yesterday, um, we ha- we can't just look at a two word phrase or three word phrase and look at it as an island into itself. We have to look at all of scripture and see how it applies and how it reconciles with the other things. Um, because that's one of the things people always say is, oh, well, you know, that contradicts scripture. Uh, it contradicts itself or whatever. And you look at it and say, no, this is one message from God to his people. And we have to look at all of it and figure out how it lines up together. Because um, even in that same chapter, right, then uh, I think it's verse 15. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, yeah, we, we have right off at the beginning, you know, don't judge. But then get down to 15 and it says, beware of false prophets who come and come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So we're told not to judge. But then at the same time, just a few verses down, you know, in the same kind of discussion Jesus is having, he tells them, hey, you're going to have to be able to spot these guys who are false prophets, um, which is judging. You're having to judge whether or not they are truly Providence. How do we reconcile that kind of difference there? Yeah, it, it's all in the, the the understanding of the meaning of the word judge. And, you know, if, if judgment is condemning, then yes, we're not supposed to judge. But if judgment is evaluating and analyzing, then that's exactly what we're supposed to do. 
Over and over again, Jesus makes it clear. He, he says, by their fruit, you will know them, talking about true and false prophets, talking about other believers. And that's that's a big thing when when people come to you and, and they say, well, you know, you, you don't know if, if so-and-so is a Christian or not. You can't judge them. No, but I can look at their fruit and see that they're not living fruit-filled lives, as the Bible says. And so that might be a reason to think, hey, they don't really understand what Christianity is, is all about. Now, does that mean I condemn them? Absolutely not. Am I going to point my finger at them and say, you're lost and going to hell? Absolutely not. That is job God's responsibility. He's the one that has the authority to judge. He's the one that has the authority to condemn. My responsibility, your responsibility, is to analyze and evaluate so that we can know who we should be listening to. Uh, because, folks, I'm going to tell you, there are a whole lot of folks out there on the airwaves that are, are preaching things that are less than true and that are absolutely not true. And it is your responsibility to determine whether you're going to listen to them, let your, your children listen to them, and be guided by them, or if you're going to find somebody who will speak truth and, and teach the, the word. Um, I started to use this illustration yesterday, but I, I, I changed my mind, and, and I feel like it, it just wasn't uh, the, the time to use it. But it's, it's almost as if you meet somebody who is a child molester who is homeless and who is needy. And, and let's say you've got, Forrest, as, as you do, eight children at home. Well, this guy has tremendous needs, and we're called on to, to love people and to minister to their needs. Does that mean that we invite that person into our home? No, absolutely not, because we are analyzing, we're evaluating, and we're protecting our family the same is true for us as, as a church and in, in, in spiritual matters. We have to be careful that we analyze and evaluate. Do we judge? Do we condemn? Absolutely not. That man may never molest another child again. That's not for us to say. But at the same time, we have a responsibility, and that's that's what we have to do. Yeah, and I know it's actually kind of your third point, where you talked about being uh, our discerning, and your discernment versus destructive. But really, that's kind of what we're looking at. God has not called us not to be discerning. Um, <laughs> so my children and my wife lately have been on, or my girls, I'm not going to slander my poor sons with this. <laughs> um, they have been on. Are you going to edit that out? No, no. I, this is, I'm sticking to this one. We're, I'm purposely putting this on the airwaves. They have been watching the show Seventh Heaven. It's Yes. Yeah, exactly. You can't see the fact that both of them look like they're about to die just at the mention of it. All right. They have been watching this terrible show and I, I never watched it growing up because I had discernment. But um, So my wife and daughters have been watching the show. My wife keeps commenting on the fact that it seems a lot like our life being the preacher's wife with a whole bunch of kids. Um, the difference is they have more drama in every episode than a church would have in a year. Um, but the other day, this episode was the guy gets out of prison, right? He's right out of prison. And the preacher decides he's going to hire him because he's really good at, at bookkeeping. And he's going to hire him as the church secretary because he can get him for a really good rate, even though he just got out of prison. Yeah. 
and they were holding this up as like, oh, look, what a loving thing to do. I'm like, I, I don't think that this is a good plan. And uh, yeah, I'm just like, you know, I think uh, I'm pretty sure discernment says you don't hire a guy right out of prison to come run the books for the church. Yeah, I mean, let's let's say you're you're at home. It's it's late at night, about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. Uh, you hear a sound at your front door. You go and you see this guy wearing a black ski mask and he's holding a, 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 a knife. Are you going to let him in your house? Probably not because you are discerning. And, and in spiritual issues, we have to be as discerning. Jesus told us that we need to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Why? Because the world is out there and we have a responsibility to protect. We don't judge, we don't condemn, but we must analyze and evaluate. Yeah, that's what I was thinking in that episode, I thought. You know, the, the proper Christian thing would not be to say, well, you've been to prison. We're going to have nothing to do with you. And, you know, you you can't be in our church. You can't ever hold a job. No, it would be to help him get a job that is an appropriate position, you know. But the idea that we would just instantly be like, come on in. Here's the key to the church. Come on in. Hey, there's our financial books. Um, if you could just pinky promise you're not going to embezzle this time, that would be great, you know. <laughs> Um, but again, that idea of if we tr- judge the way the world reads this, that would mean that we're standing there saying you're a guilty sinner and you'll never be anything else and you're never amount to anything and we don't love you because of the things you've done in the past. But that's not what we're saying at all. No, no. Some of the, some of the most committed Christians that, that I've known in my life have uh, come out of backgrounds of addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs. They have served time. Um, they have found themselves in situations of their own making that were less than than honorable, uh, but they have fought their way back because of the grace of God, and, and they are once again serving the Lord, and, and they are committed to to the, the Word of God. That That's why we don't have the authority to judge. We know the present. We don't know the future. We don't know their hearts. We don't know that until that moment of last breath where they they have that opportunity to turn everything over to God. So we don't have the ability, the wisdom, the insight, the right, the authority, pick whatever word you want there, to judge anybody. But we must evaluate and analyze for the good of our families and for our church. And, and I think that one of the things— we, we've got to remember here um, when it comes to this idea of being discerning. Um, Brother Ben, yesterday you mentioned um, really early on in your example, like social media and how, how fights tend to, to happen on social media. It, it's often because it's your opinion versus my opinion. Um, and if we're not careful, we will go into these things as Christians with kind of this, this holy fire behind us that, that we think like, oh, we can come in and, and settle this argument. But we also have to be careful because the only way we can be discerning is if we are not bringing our opinions into the arguments, but we are bringing that truth of scripture that you mentioned. Because mm-hmm. um, otherwise it's like when, 
So when, when I was working for, for Chick-fil-A in college, we had above the fryers, there was this little nozzle and it had a little uh, plastic hook on it. And the, the, the sole purpose for that was putting out oil fires. Because what happens is if you, you know, for whatever reason, if the, the oil in the fryer catches on fire and you try to put it out with water, it's going to be bad, right? <laughs> in, in some situations, right, like water would put out a fire, but not an oil fire, right? You have to know what you are getting into and you have to bring in the right tool to do that. You can't look at it and say, oh, well, water puts out fire. It doesn't put out an oil fire. Um, and, and at the same time, if, if we are going to, to, to do this and we are going to be a people who are having that, you know, that compassionate, corrective, discerning love for people where we are coming at that, you know, judging in, in the right manner for, to fellow Christians and, and to, to other people, we have to have those things. And, and you mentioned early on, like really early on before you got to your, your points, um, you said something to the effect of like scripture does not, does not discredit itself. Scripture never discredits itself. When, when we think that scripture might be discrediting itself, we have to look at us and our understanding of the scripture we're reading. Just like, you know, you brought up the, the differences we see right here and in verse 15, like we have to understand the different contexts of what we're talking about. Or at the same time, if we look at, you know, verse six and we see, do not, you know, give what is holy to the dogs and all that. Yet in, was it 450 something we look at and it says that we are supposed to love our neighbor and to, to be pouring into our neighbor. And if, if we're not careful, right, we are saying, well, this applies here, but it doesn't apply here. We have to be discerning because scripture is so, is, is so important in this. Um, it, it got me thinking about, um, my, myself. I'm very, I, I try to make sure that I carry myself in a professional way. And some of the things that that means is you want to make sure like you don't have anything in your teeth. You want to make sure your hair is brushed. You know, you want to make sure you're not walking around in wrinkled clothes. You want to carry yourself in a p particular way. Well, uh, have we ever, you know, been in one of those positions where you are walking around thinking that, that you look great. You are completely put together. Everything is good. And all of a sudden you walk past a mirror and you notice, and, you know, you smile and notice that you've got spinach in your teeth and you haven't eaten lunch since three hours ago. And you've had two meetings since then. And you've had spinach in your teeth the whole time. Like if we're not careful, we will, we can convince ourselves that we are going in with compassion. We are going in being corrective. We're not being critical. We're, we're not being destructive. We're, we're being discerning. But when we really start to look at our own lives, how often do we have that spinach in our teeth? And so really just kind of highlighting as we were thinking about this yesterday, it kind of hit me why judgment can be so easy of a sin to fall into. It's because it's hard sometimes to see ourselves, you know, like we can be walking around thinking that, that we don't have this speck or we don't have this plank in our eye until it's revealed to us that, oh, wait, we actually do. And so I don't think that, like, I don't know that I could accidentally 
have an affair with my wife, right? I don't think that that I could be sitting there drinking Hawaiian punch and all of a sudden accidentally get drunk. Like there are some sins that we have to consciously do, but I think that that one of the reasons, at least in my life, why this sin of judgment is so easy to fall into is because if I'm not making the conscious effort to look at my own life, I'm not, I'm not always going in with this thinking like, oh, if I can just, if I can just point out that speck, then I can hide my own plank. But sometimes it's that, that I genuinely just have not taken a t- the time to look at my own life that I don't even see the plank. Um, and, and it's almost like, I mean, not to take responsibility, but it's almost like the sin of judgment is something that's easy for me to accidentally fall into if I'm not careful. Yeah, I think the thing there, you, you, you brought up a good point in that, um, I know personally, with everything going on in the world right now, I kind of feel like if you haven't like written and deleted a post a few times, like you're probably in the judgment zone. But uh, yeah, it's right now we can be armed with the truth and really have good intentions of maybe protecting God's word or, you know, it's like, well, that's being misused or, or even the church or we can have good intentions, but then at the same time end up in a place where, yeah, we are kind of taking on that role of judging others and, you know, we're not, we, we've maybe taken that discernment, but then we've recognized that's false or that's error or that's sin. But when it comes time to call it out, then we go with truth and don't apply any love. Cause that's the thing is it's really, we have to have those together. If we have all truth and no love, then we're going to be the Pharisees and, it's easy to read the New Testament and sometimes call out the Pharisees. We're really good at that. We're like, oh, look at those Pharisees. I mean, look, everywhere you turn, they're in an argument with Jesus where they're trying to trap him. But I, I sometimes feel sympathetic for them in that you look at these guys and if you had asked them, they were like the special forces of Judaism. I mean, these guys, uh, I'm just going to tell you, they would have been very conservative. They would have been all about the church they would have they would have made good southern baptists <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely and that in their mind they were protecting what needed to be protected you know they took god's regulations and they said i don't even want to get close to messing those up so if we surround them with some extra rules then we'll keep people safe from sinning and so instead they just created this religion of rules and then they felt they needed to protect it. That's not starting out in a bad place, but was it a sin? Yeah, it was. And so I think what you're talking about, if we're not careful, we can be the same way of we can have the best intentions. Like uh, we can look at God's word right now and we can see things that are happening in our society. that are absolutely against God's word. And we can feel a duty to proclaim that. Uh, but at the same time, how do we go about doing that? How do we interact with those around us? Um, I was reading a book a while back and this um, guy was working in a factory. This girl was there um, and she was just the most vulgar, just lost person, you know, and, and 
I've often heard the phrase, we, we shouldn't be surprised when lost people act lost. She was owning that like hardcore. So she was just as bad as she could be in his mind. And somehow they ended up at this interaction somewhere and, and I think she broke down or something. So he gave her a ride home and the whole way home, he didn't preach to her. He didn't try and convert her, any of that stuff. And just talked to her like a person. Well, she later got saved and she said that part of it was the fact that in that moment, she was prepared for him to try and, you know, witness to her and hit her over the head with a Bible or whatever. But it was actually the fact that he treated her like a human that disarmed her mm-hmm. and made her look at him differently. She ended up getting saved and became the most radical Christian in this factory and won all these girls to Christ and everything. And it just kind of hit me. Where do we find that balance? Yeah. You know, because we should seize opportunities. That's that's why I use the word discerning, because we have to be discerning. I've I mentioned in the sermon yesterday that I've I've dealt with a lot of spouses and and unfortunately it's mostly wives who are trying to get their husbands into church, trying to get them to to trust Jesus. And um, so very often they they stay on them, stay on them, and stay on them until basically uh, they just, uh, the, the husbands dig in their heels. And, you know, guys, we're created to be that way. We, we, we make a decision. We take a stand. That's part of what it means to, to be a man. You know, we're, we're, we're stubborn creatures. And, and what happens is that, that when wives start doing that and pushing and pushing and pushing, men feel forced into a corner. And so what they're going to do is they're going to strike back. And the way they strike back is, is to either just rebel completely and say, I'm not going, I'm not going to do this. Or they become angry and, and that causes additional problems in the marriage. And you have to, as a, a spouse, as a parent dealing with adult children, you have to be discerning and recognize when that point comes where you just need to back off and let God take over. Because quite frankly, we do a good job at pushing and pushing, but we don't do a good job of letting God do his part. Yeah, and that, that was one of the notes I had for that last point was um, kind of to talk to that that prodigal child situation and parents there. Um, you know, I've seen that before where parents wrestle with the idea of, well, how do I not endorse the things that they're doing that I know f- are not good and they're not pleasing and they're maybe not the things we taught them, you know, uh, a lot of parents, I think, ha- hold that verse, train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. And they look at that and it ends up being a weight around their necks mm-hmm. because they've always heard this as a guarantee that this is, well, the Bible says it and I've been told that it's a promise, which by the way, it's not. Um, and so their children grow up and they've, they've raised them in the church or whatever. And then their children depart from the faith or, you know, they've lived a life that is not what God would have them be doing. And so because of that, they end up with a lot of guilt and maybe shame. And then they feel like, okay, well, I've got to use every moment to try and win my child back. And that if I say the right things, then I can get them back in the church or, you know, and so, I think there there has to be a moment where we give them some the chance to say, listen, uh, 
first of all, that's a proverb that says this is generally the way it works and you should aim to raise your children in a way that honors Christ. But the fact that they did not end up as Christians is not because you are a terrible parent and that you should live with this guilt. And once you've told your children, listen, we don't approve of what you're doing. They know that. Uh, And there has to come a point where you still love them and kind of move forward than just beating them over the head every day. And I know, um, knowing some parents very closely that they've, they deal with that and they've struggled with, well, how do I, how do I find that balance? Well, the key is you you start as with everything with love for your children. Um, You love them. And, and as the word says, you train them up. Now, how do you train them? Well, you train them by teaching them verbally. You train them by teaching them visibly. You let them see what you're doing. You live out the life in front of them. Um, you know, Sonia and I made it a point raising our girls that that we would make sure that that they saw us going to church, not because I was the pastor, but because we were believers and going to church was the thing to do. When tithing, I always made sure my girls saw me writing out the tithe check. When uh, doing anything, we we always expressed to them, look, even if we, we weren't the pastor and the pastor's family, this is what we would be doing. And, and we we explained to them. And we stood toe-to-toe with them. We, we made sure they knew, look, yes, when, when you're old enough, you can get a job, but you will not be working on Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night. When they were playing sports, yes, we'll take you to practice, but you will not play games on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. You'll not practice at those times. You're going to be in church. We, we laid that down to them. They understood that. We um, There were times as, as teenagers when, they wanted to do a little rebelling, and it was those times that uh, that that we knew that we had to stand firm on what we we taught them, and that's the idea of training up a child. You you train them up. Yes, you're, you're right, Forrest. It, it's a proverb, and the thing that we have to do is recognize that every individual, regardless of what age they are, they have to make the decision to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. We cannot make that decision for them. But as, as children, teenagers in our homes, we can set down the rules and we can say, look, just like Joshua did, as for me and my house, this is what we're going to do and hold them accountable. But once they are grown and adults, there's a time that we have to back off and say, yes, I did the best I could. They made their decisions. They have to live with the consequences. There, there was a, I had the chance to hear him speak, but there's a great book um, by a guy named Chris Yuan. Uh, that's Y-U-A-N. Um, and it kind of gave me a really good view of this because it's actually, it's called Out of a Far Country. And it's a story of um, him and his parents. And he grew up, now he wasn't raised in a Christian home, but his parents ended up getting saved uh, when he was older. Um, and he went on, he he ended up, uh, got kicked out of uh, dental school. He was about to be a dentist, got kicked out, um, became a drug dealer, um, was a um, very active homosexual in uh, Atlanta. uh, So he ends up as a kind of major player in the drug business uh, in the early 90s in Atlanta, in the homosexual scene there. And again, his parents tried to witness to him. He talks about they came to visit one time um, and 
tried to give him a Bible and he threw them out of his house and threw the Bible away. And, and but his mom prayed for him every day for like a decade that she, she constantly prayed for him after she got saved. So this wasn't even like that, um, kind of tramp child. She, she got saved, tried to witness to him. And then after that, every day, just religiously praying for him. And, um, he ends up in jail and has no one to call and doesn't know what he's going to do. Um, and ends up calling his mom. He's like, I didn't know what else to do. And he calls his mom and his mom was kind of freaking out. Her son has been arrested for, by the, not just like arrested, but he's been arrested by the DEA. So he's facing federal drug charges. Um, and he is looking at federal prison for a long time. And he calls his mom and his mom's reaction was, well, I know you're safe tonight. I know, I know where you are and that you're relatively safe. And so she, she had a little adding machine. I don't, I think she was an accountant or something. And so she pulled out a little piece of paper off like the receipt paper and just wrote down the, the praise that I know Chris is safe tonight. And then over the years, she has continued to add to that. Now, I mean, um, it's a it, very interesting story. You can probably find it on YouTube or, or read the book, but uh, he ends up being HIV positive. He gets sentenced to prison. Um, and through that, Christ saves him. Uh, and he is now like a professor of theology at, I think, Wheaton or, or one of those colleges up there. Um, but a very powerful testimony, really, of his parents and kind of the way his mom walked through that and um, – he had really good impact just on the idea of like, yeah, the, this prodigal child situation, the, the, the idea that your child is living this life that is so far from what you want it to be. The most powerful thing you can do is pray and love them. Yep. Um, and, and that's, those are the things that really are on you as a parent. Do that, love them and pray. And it's, you know, they know that what they're doing is not pleasing to you and to God you don't have to tell them every time you see them. Um, uh, again, I don't have a lot of experience with that, but having listened to people talk, that seems to be kind of the advice I've heard over and over. Yeah. And, and that's something that, that, that we try to, to make sure that we're explaining to like parents uh, with dealing with students is, you know, you can, you, you can say things all day until you're blue in the face. Um, but really it's, setting a precedence of just letting them see your life um, and just showing that, that you have these, th this compassionate love for them. And, uh, and, and like, like brother Ben mentioned, making sure that they are seeing the things that are important to you, making sure that they are, are, are seeing how they are supposed to be, be living as, as we're, you know, training up children, you know, not just, not just saying these things and, 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 and all that, but, but really setting an example through your life. So I, I, I think you worded it something to the effect of, um, there has to come a point where you realize that, that you have to, to quit talking and just show them through your lives and, and hope that, that, that God will step in and intervene in that situation because um, I often come back to in, in second Peter one, when, when we look at this um, 
in Second Peter one, starting in verse five, um, so verses three and four talk about you know how God has granted us with this idea of salvation and all these great things, these blessings, and all that. And then in verse five, it says, "For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, your knowledge with self control, self control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love." For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and how that plays into this generational training that, that we see, um, how much more effective is it when when we can, or I say we, I don't have kids yet. Um, we're hopefully a few years out from that. Um, I say hopefully we're in a brick room. There's not really many wood to knock on, but uh, but I'll find some in a minute. Um, but but as parents, there there's something to teaching your your kids through your actions how to have faith, how to supplement that with virtue, how to how to have knowledge, how to have self control. All of these things um, that that yeah, you can sit there and you can you know you can you can talk to them. But I know like when I was when I, when I was in school to be a teacher, it, it wasn't the the classes where I would sit there and listen to a lecture that really helped to form like a pedagogy within yourself. It was the time that you spent in a classroom working with a teacher, watching how they managed a class. You know, um, yes, I sat through a class that was all about, you know, classroom management. And we looked at all of these theories and theorists and all of this and had to take tests on, well, you know, so-and-so said that if you do this in your classroom, then it'll be effective in this situation. And, and, and yeah, there is that, but, but there's so much more of it that came from being in a classroom with a teacher, watching how they handled when, when a situation arose that taught me how to do that. And, and the same thing with, with, with parents and with kids being able to, to live this out um, and setting that physical precedence rather than just speaking. And even, and even I think that carries over into when we are dealing with not just parents and kids, but when we are, are going about these things with other people, you know, there's so much more when we look at, like, we can say, be compassionate, don't be condemning, but how much of our life as we're living our life, do these other people see us being compassionate in our lives, in every aspect of our lives? How much do they see us having a desire to be corrective, not critical, not just when it comes to like, we're addressing their sin right now, but what about when we take them out for a meal? Are we being compassionate when our when our server is having a bad day, or are we condemning our server? Like, how are we living out our lives for the people that we're that we're dealing with this too? Because you know we can we can be discerning in this moment, but how much of this is just saturating how we live our day to day life? I think as we kind of wrap this up for this week, I think to, to boil it down, um, God has not told us that we should never judge things or situations or, or even the actions of people. God has told us to be discerning and that to use the wisdom he's given us to, to discern these things with love. And that, um, by doing that, then we can, um, kind of rightly divide where we need to land uh, that we are not called to just blanket, accept everything 
because God said, do not judge. That's not at all what he's saying. Um, however, if we're not living our life, showing that compassion and showing that love, then we're just, we're just going to be, um, loudspeakers walking around telling everybody turn or burn. Well, that's not what Jesus ever did. You know, if that was the model for how we should be running our ministry, we would see in the new Testament, you know, where Jesus walked from town to town and proclaimed death and destruction is coming. Get right. Well, that's, that's not what he did. That's very far from what Jesus did. Um, and so I think that's the thing. If we can kind of wrap that up of, you know, can I be the judge of that? The question we asked, well, yes, God does give us the ability to, to discern these situations. Um, we are not the ultimate judge and we will never be the ultimate judge. Um, that is for God alone. We, every one of us will stand before him and be judged uh, in the end but that's not our job. Our job is to live wise, discerning lives that please God. Um, final thoughts on that, Brother Ben? Well, I was sitting here thinking as you guys were, were wrapping up, and um, the, this thought just kept, keeps going through my mind. Um, I have an opinion. I don't have to share it. You know, we get in trouble so many times on uh, social media, especially when we see somebody post something, maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they've had a bad life. Maybe they just have a bad attitude for, for whatever reason. And they post something. You don't have to respond to it. In fact, most times it's better if you don't, because as I said yesterday, we're never going to change anybody's heart with a social media post. We're never going to transform anybody's life through a tweet. It, it's just not going to happen. To be um, the kind of Christian that, that Jesus is calling us to be, we need to help people, not argue with them. I guess that's, that's how I would leave it. All right. Now for the most serious portion of the show. We dive deep into some serious theology. Let's see. Uh, Zach is reaching into the bucket of randomness all right. to figure out our question of the week. Okay. So uh, which disciple would you rather be? Would you rather betray Jesus or deny Jesus? Well, there's no question about that one. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, yeah, I would deny Jesus. That would be my my choice there. Yeah, I, I think I think I would agree. Um, I think, well, this is just kind of random that didn't even have that is like such an obvious choice. But okay. Well, but if you think about it, so taking our students through John MacArthur's Twelve Ordinary Men book, one of the things he highlights in there is that yes, Judas did betray Jesus, and yes, that was. You know, a, a bad choice, but he did highlight that. <laughs> I feel like we might be minimizing slightly. Well, but he did highlight that that was a crucial point of the process of the crucifixion. And so, while yes, Judas was not was not necessarily justified in his actions. At the same time, it was all a part of God's divine plan. Yes, but I think if we refer back to a couple weeks ago when we had. The, the story about Joseph, you know, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So 
Um, I don't think we're going to give Judas a pass here. I'm just like, trying to make some discussion. I, I mean, I, come on. <laughs> These are all one-sided. <laughs> that that one's pretty heavily one-sided. Yeah, uh, that that's one of those that uh, you look at and you say, wow, you know, um, don't want to do either. But here's here's the good news, folks. Whether you have betrayed Jesus or just denied Jesus, there is forgiveness available to you. Um, and I really think that Judas could have been forgiven had he uh, allowed the Holy Spirit to work in his life. But he wasn't because the Bible says he went to his own special place and um, that wasn't heaven. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, next week, we will actually have a special guest with us. So we're excited about that. You have to tune in to find out um, how that goes. And until then, we'll see you next week. <laughs>